first, I must express really, truly, it's from the depths of my heart and my whole being, gratitude. Gratitude to her, gratitude to Dashina, Vishnu, Angelo, and whoever is looking after this place. And of course, gratitude for everyone being present here. It's uh, really a wonderful place. Her presence is so concrete, palpable, right surrounds you, takes in, in a very physical lap. So, gratitude to her for being present here in this way. Or none of us can really deserve it. It is a grace. Uh, the mother speaks about this path and says that the spirituality of the old type rejected material life. The new spirituality will take up matter and transform it. And Shurabindo very beautifully in Savitri brings out these lines. Earth must transform herself and equal heaven or heaven descent into earth's mortal state. But for this high spiritual change to be, the heavenly psyche must put off her veil and step into common nature's crowded rooms and stand uncovered in that nature's front and rule our thoughts and fill our body and life. This is the necessity because psychic is the link between earthly life and the Supreme. It's the Divine's delegate in our humanity and Shubhinda says, why it has come here? To play at ball with time and circumstance. What a beautiful game. What a joy, what a aim of life to play at ball with time and circumstance. If there is an aim, this is the aim. Worthy of our manhood. Shubhinda speaks in the life divine about this aim very beautifully. The ascent to the divine life is the work of works, the sole acceptable sacrifice, without which human life is nothing more than that of a worm who has managed to form himself in a little speck of mud and water amidst the appalling immensities of the universe. The only thing that differentiates truly makes us worthy of being called a man, a human being, is the psychic presence. That is what really marks mark of a man, aspiring for the divine life. And how one could get there? It's like the gener it's like the wire, the mother gives a beautiful image, the body is like the lamp and the divine is the generator. It is the psychic is the wire which links. Without the psychic there is no linkage. And we know that uh, earth is a unique place as we mentioned because the psychic presence is found only here. There is the Divine everywhere, but no other planet, no other constellation, no other star is privileged to have an individual psychic being. Therefore, Earth is the field of progress. Earth is the heroic spirit's battlefield, the forge where the arch mission, he built this work. He made of this universe a gymnasium for his works of mind. This is a vast gymnasium in which we are all here for this exercise to develop the psychic being. 
that gives life a great sense, a unique sense, a unique privilege, uh, and helps us, goads us to discover how to do it. We can take a small little story. Being a child, I love stories, and we, this is a story we all have heard, but this story can be understood in different ways. So it's a story which we have heard in all cultures. That there is a little prince who in his childhood gets lost. For some reason or the other he moves away from the king and the kingdom. And he forgets his uh, ancestral place, he forgets his royal parentage, and he is brought up by the shepherds or the uh, local people. And he lives like them, behaves like them. He does not know that he is a prince. He lives like a poor person. If the person is a woodcutter, he starts cutting wood. If he is a mason, he is doing masonry. If he is whatever the parents do, he learns to do that. Till he grows up, and one day this secret is revealed to him. Either by conspiracy of fate, or if the first appearance were really nice, they tell it that look, you know, you are actually prince. So we have done this work, but now reclaim your kingdom. And so the prince takes a long journey, sometimes through the Thebian desert where things ask strange questions, sometimes through forest like Satyavan, you know, not knowing who he is, where he is, why he is, he just lives an ordinary life. But nevertheless he has to take a journey. And or sometimes like Odysseus who travels all the way. And when he takes the journey, he meets several levels of difficulties. There is sometimes thirst, sometimes lure, sometimes attractions, sometimes other people side tracking, come, 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 that kingdom you forget, come here. There are better things here. But he remembers and remembers till he finally reaches the kingdom. Now he must, you know, when he reaches the kingdom, there are all kinds of people, there are those who rule it, they are not very happy, uh, and there is a battle which ensues till finally the, king, the prince reclaims the throne which is rightfully his. This is the story of our life. We all live this story. This little prince who sleeps in the cradle, who has come here for a great work, and uh, is brought up by the foster parents. And we heard just about the three foster parents. The mind, life, and body are the three foster parents which guard it. Now, if the foster parents are nice, they do a good job. So as the prince grows, they keep reminding him, look, you know, you are essentially, you are belonging to a, you, kingship is your native right. Ananda is your right. Because you are a child of bliss. You are not a child of suffering. You are not born to suffer and weep and cry and always wallowing sin and suffering and guilt. You are born for delight. You are born for truth because you are the holder of truth. But if the foster parents are not very nice, they try to cover up. Oh, don't talk about where you come from. Don't talk about, you know, uh, your kingdom and all this. Live like this. This is life. Life is nothing but material existence. Life is nothing but vital existence. Enjoy life. What tell you people are talking about? Divine, gone crazy, gone nuts. Need to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> Depends on the kind of foster parents. If the mind is very nice, it helps. If the life is very beautiful, it helps. If the body also, if it is less and less tamasic, it helps. But mostly, one has to struggle through these. So therefore the mother says one must be armed 
with infinite patience and a certain set of attitudes which help the unveiling of the psychic. So these attitudes we take in mind, life and our physical nature, certain things which they have to do and we have to ask them to do it. And we means the place where, whatever we call as ourselves, usually it is identified with one part or the other, doesn't matter, there is something called a central sense of the self, the ego self. So it can help in the unveiling, it can help in blocking the road. How to do it? Mother says very beautifully, first thing, we must know that the mind cannot judge spiritual things. If we try to do before even we set out on the path, the ifs and the buts, what's going to happen to me? Mother says, when you come to the spiritual life, just jump. Don't bother that you will find a stone here, a stone there. And there is a very beautiful couplet in Urdu with regard to this, that he who jumps and drowns reaches the other side. <laughs> a sea of fire. And he who wants to swim and goes few steps forward, two steps backward, hugs the shore, never reaches. So this is the joy of jumping and then she says, you must be prepared to hang with nothing but faith. Because this is a great discovery. One leaves the familiar shores, one leaves the familiar surroundings and to hang with nothing but faith. And then she says something very beautiful. Your family, your aim, your country, your religion is nothing else but the divine. That is the fire that carries us into the journey. So first step is, tell the mind that it cannot judge spiritual things. Is the spirit something lesser than the mind? It is obviously something greater. And the spirit can know the mind, but not vice versa. The spirit can have the most reflect a little bit of it, if it's, I mean the mind can have the most reflect a little bit of it, if it is refined, developed and become a luminous curtain, but it cannot reveal itself by its own self, it cannot know it. So if we want to know all about the psychic being and be very sure in our mind before we start the discovery, then we actually never start. So there are a group of people who always want to know mentally but don't take the first step. So it's very important to take the step, to walk the path. Second thing she says, difficult, give up all personal seeking for comfort. This is the problem with the vital, bad minister. It knows that if it allows the prince to go to the king, oh, who will look after me in old age? So it never tells it that, you know, you are you belong to Ananda. It says, no, 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 you don't belong to the king, kingdom of Ananda. You have to struggle, you have to survive. You can't always talk about spiritual things. You can't talk about psychicization and all this. After all, life is meant for many things. You have to first have uh, enjoyment, a uh, nice car, a luxurious apartment. Maybe then another car in another apartment. But, you know, the neighbor has three. So how can you be satisfied only with two? And, you know, it goes on giving hundred reasons and the prince, poor prince doesn't know because, you know, someone has tell him. Either sometimes the life minister gets a knock. If one is very fortunate, if divine has still uh, trust, uh, if divine loves us, he takes away the toys. And if we are, uh, we are not ready for it, he says play with toys, fine. So you have another car, have another, have another apartment, you are very happy and we keep thanking the Divine, we don't know that probably Divine has for the moment forgetting us. <laughs> when he takes the task very seriously, then he says, oh, get these toys, leave it. TV, you are too much involved with TV, deep plug. <laughs> so, 
then we say, oh, divine, you are so bad, but that is precisely the grace. So first step is give up all personal seeking for comfort. Do everything with a sense of joy, but do not do anything for the sake of wanting pleasure out of it. Whatever we do, do it with a sense of joy. It may be, you know, cleaning, it may be doing anything, it may be studying, it may be delivering a talk, it may be just taking a stroll. Do it with a sense of joy and gratitude, but don't do anything for the sake of pleasure that this is what is going to give me. This way we will spoil this minister who is already very spoiled. <laughs> second thing we have to remember. What is the third thing? He says, this aspiration must constantly burn. How? He says, before we eat, we must remember, why, should, why do we eat? We do not eat just for gratification. It does not mean that mix salt and sour and everything together. That's not the sign of a yogi. He enjoys when it, something is given to him, he enjoys it. But that is not the aim, that is not the goal. And always there is this prayer that may this food be offered and create within us elements which are necessary for sadhana. This is just a moment of stepping back before we sleep, that the sleep restores our fatigue nerves and makes us ready to walk on the path of the great realization. Just like the travelers, he has to, you know, he sleeps, he must get up and before we speak, that the words do not hinder the evolutionary march of mankind, but helps in the process of development and growth, our own and everybody else's. And in short, he says, before we act, just for a moment, we must aspire and pray that may my action bring light and hope and faith and peace and light and love and harmony and sweetness and courage and not their opposites. So this way, these ministers can take a certain amount of, you know, they, they develop the right attitude. And along with that, we must do something for this uh, lazy bone because the more dense the body is, the less, the, the more difficult it becomes to unveil it. So one of the tasks, we have talked a lot about physical exercise, so we must talk a little about it because, you know, that's the only thing we seem to know. We know very little about the psychological exercise, which is so important. But physical is important because to begin with, it, it, it makes the consciousness less dense. To that extent, it is helpful also in the unveiling of the psychic, which great athletes know that after a real sprint, there is a sense of peace and stillness in the body, and it is one kind of experience of the true consciousness. But very soon, many other things take over, and this is in subconscious yoga. Yoga is to be done very consciously with a conscious aspiration that much about the physical. So in a sense, what is this whole story about? It is about becoming one-pointed. And we can take it in a very, uh, there is a simile, an image which comes always to me with regard to the temples uh, in India and of course any center, that when we start on a great journey, we have a lot of baggage. You know, we are morning breakfast, what is it that we, we have to go to Lodai retreat, okay. But you know, everybody is on the phone with the breakfast, with the tea and everything, and who are the friends coming and everything, you know, there's a whole group. <laughs> so we start with a bag and baggage in the group. And you know, everything is wonderful, everything is being talked under the sun, and till we reach the Lodai retreat. And then we park the cars and come out, oh, beautiful place. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, there is a shock and contact. And then, uh, you know, again there are some nice friends, but now these are friends that have gathered with a common aspiration. And then we come still a little bit of chatter and chatter and all these things, till we come inside. We have left now even the shoes outside. 
and finally we stand before the mother and we are all alone. There is none else, we and the mother. And the last step, that only her. This is the journey towards the psychic. We begin with lots of notions, lots of ideas, lots of things, lots of people. We want to carry the entire entourage with us. As if, you know, everybody must leave the psychic together. All our relatives, all our friends, family members, our house, everything must be blasted into nirvana. There is no such royal road. Shurabindo said, there is no royal road to yoga like French made easy. Or French without tears. And when in, in Savitri there is beautiful description, yeah, yeah. Somebody asks, you know, Savitri goes inside and then she sees a group of godlike beings coming out of her inner inmost being. First she meets these three deities. Room. Many people confuse them with the psychic. When we go inside, we meet these three ministers in their original state. And they are very beautiful. There is that uh, mind which wants to become an instrument of light. And one can confuse itself with the psychic. One meets that vital, inner vital, which is born to do a work of God on earth. It's an instrument of God, instrument of strength. And one can confuse it with the psychic. One meets the true physical, which can endure the an, an, any amount of suffering and wants to heal and nurture and nourish earth wounds and one can confuse it with the psychic and take one of the stations there like the three Madonas but one goes deeper and so Savitri when she goes deeper she sees a godlike beings coming out of her inner being and she says they were rushing out to help the world and she says very beautifully that in contrary terms she discovers what she discovers only they who save themselves can others save so this is the first step of psychic discovery even for the collective yoga. And then what does she do? She asks one of these beings, where is my soul? Where is my soul? So then she says, one of them who is luminous eyed points out backward and says, follow the world's winding highway to its narrow path. There on a fire burning on a bare stone, thou shalt meet thy secret soul. And then beautifully describes, then Savitri goes into that path and she says the path becomes narrow. There in the silence, trod by a few wounded pilgrim feet. It is not a wholesale market. We should not expect that psychic, you know, one expects, for oh, 10 years I am doing yoga, 10 years is nothing. 10 lives, one should start like that. Infinite patience. This is the task to be done. If I live, this is the aim to be lived. If I perish, this is worth doing and perishing. It's better to perish trying to find the psychic than to be safe on the level roads of uh, life. With this aspiration when we move, follow the world's winding highway to its root. And what happens in this highway? It becomes narrow and narrow. A time comes when we have to even leave ourselves. There is that famous story, the Buddhist story, when one stood before Buddha with flowers in the hands and Buddha said, drop it. So he dropped the flowers. And then Buddha again said, drop it. So he drops the hands. Buddha says, I said, drop it. He says, sir, what shall I drop it? He says, drop yourself. It is very difficult to do that because even when we stand in front of the divine, we have our own agendas. We don't turn to the divine for the sake of the divine. And that sadhana brings color. As very beautifully Mother says, before you talk about yoga, ask yourself, why do you want yoga for? To get power, to help humanity, 
to do this, to do that. None of these is enough to say that you are ready for the path. Has the divine become the reason of your existence? Is your is it is the divine the very breath of your life? That is one pointedness. When someone asked Ramakrishna Paramans, Sir, tell me about the soul and divine and everything, he would not say a word. And many days passed and he was very surprised that this man is not giving me a lecture and people say he is a great master, perhaps he doesn't know. Till one day Ramakrishna said, come we will take a bath together. So they go into the river to take a bath and when they are taking a bath he says, take a dip. And as he takes the dip as his customary, Paramans holds his head and puts it down in water. So this fellow is, you know, all, my God, this is the end. This man is really crazy. But after some time, he comes out to the surface and says, Pray, sir, why do I, you are doing this to me? I know I have tortured you with my question and I will never ask you again. Let me go free. I am very sorry. You would have taken my life. So Paramans asked him, What were you wanting when you were inside water? He said, Of course the air. He said, When with this intensity you will ask the divine, you will find him. That is the path to become one-pointed. There is no two ways about it and one becomes one point. If one keeps on persisting, it doesn't come in a day. It's not a day's task. As one moves slowly and slowly or swiftly and swiftly, one discovers that gradually it is a path of the alone to the alone. Each one has to find his own winding highway. What does it mean psychologically? Psychologically it means the mind should seek only the eternal. It's busy with so many things, so many information, share market and this book and that book. But this book is also very lovely. I have read recently another book on something. And you know this news item is very lovely and that is very lovely. Well, so long as the mind is seeking 101 things, well, we will remain with 101 things. The mind should be wanting to know the truth, the divine, and it must insist. That is my goal. It doesn't mean that one stops reading other stuff. Fine, if it comes, fine. But one must know this is our destruction. This sincerity is necessary. If one fools oneself and believes that all life is yoga, therefore anything is yoga, then ultimately one ends up having neither life nor yoga. Because, you know, once one turns on the path of yoga, it is very dangerous to meddle with both. Because one loses both. You know, it's much better to be with life on this side. Because one doesn't know about yoga, one gets life. But if one turns to yoga, and you know, then it's very difficult. But unfortunately we are the, you know, <laughs> we have already taken the plunge. So if one has taken the plunge, it's a fire that is going to burn down the ego. As they say that there are two ways one can embrace the divine in the world. One is the embrace of the wrestler, and second the embrace of the lover. In both cases, one will be smashed to pieces. The ego cannot remain in that embrace. The difference is when we embrace the divine as the wrestler, all the time arguing and contesting with him, it's very painful. Every time a bone is crushed, we say, oh my God, it hurts. <laughs> but when we embrace him like the lover, it's delight. Every time a bone is crushed, we say, this much release. Thank you, Mother, you have released me from this bondage. Thank you, Mother, you have released me. Because we don't have the strength to do this. You know, one may talk of detachment, but it's not free. But with her grace, it becomes easy. She makes situations, conditions, circumstances. So, at the level of mind to seek the eternal, at the level of the heart to look for that one face for whose sake 
as they say, you know, there's a famous uh, thing about Helen, which I always find uh, falls beautifully on the divine, that the phase that launched a thousand ships. So that should be our attitude towards the divine, that here is the face one must look for. That is the love, that is the beloved whom one should seek with all the ardor and passion of the heart. Okay, one has relationships, fine. What does one do with them? Very simple. There is a story of uh, Draupadi, we know she had five husbands. And uh, she, after her death, goes to heaven. And Savitri is very surprised finding her there. She says, uh, she was very immoral. She had five husbands, how can she be a qualify for heaven? So she asked Draupadi, Draupadi said, cool down, cool down, I, gods have not made a mistake, they have a purpose in getting me here, but how can you, you are, don't you have five of them? She said, yes, that's true, but I loved only one. Oh, then you were partial, so both ways you are disqualified. She said, no, I was partial to none. What is the mystery? She says, I loved only Krishna. I was married to five, but in my heart there was only that divine presence. And that is the approach. We relate with everyone. We don't shun life. But it does not mean we indulge with life in the ordinary way. We love only the one. And seek for him everywhere. There is a beautiful poem of Sri Aurobindo, the one self. He says, All are deceived. Do what the one power dictates. And then at the end of it, he has those two beautiful lines. My rival's downfall is my own disgrace. I look at my enemy and see Krishna's face. That should be the approach, that everywhere we see the Divine, in whatever way, in whatever form, in whatever way he comes. If there is a blow, instead of, you know, blaming or cursing the person, somewhere we should think, Oh Divine, Thou has done a really a great favor to me by removing one more string of attachment. And uh, beautifully there is an aphorism of Shirobindo where he says, When he came and plucked my robe of Wise, I let it go. Wise and sin. But when he plucked my robe of virtue, I hesitated. And I would not let it go. So all these prides and all these things, gradually the divine does it. And when we discover that Leela, there is a great delight. Because in all events we see the secret hand and the circumstance. So every time when we don't understand life, when we think we are caught up in an emotional turmoil, we must look at the very transience of all these relationships and the permanence of the one with whom we need to relate. The mother has given a beautiful exercise with Nisruti, has very beautifully brought out. Step back, step back, step back. What is the importance of this? How heavy importance is this thing which I hold on to? Or rather that holds on to me? Is it going to lead me towards the divine? Am I going to lose the divine? By this? No. And in fact, if a situation comes in life, when one has nothing and no one, one should really say, Thou hast cut from me the bonds that I did not have the strength to cut. That's what Shurabindu says in, in his own life is a beautiful example of what sadhana can be. He says that when he is sent to jail, he does not cut the divine. He does not say that, Oh, Thou uh, cruel one, Thou hast tortured me like this. He says, I did not have the bonds to cut those bonds you have cut. This Shurabindu is saying in the jail. And what is he writing in the jail? We have little difficulties and we start, you know, doubting the mother's presence and the grace. 
But look at grace is not only when everything goes wonderfully well. Grace is also, as Shurabindu says, when grace is not only when uh, when we when a, there is a shipwreck and all the you know all are drowned and I am saved. So we say, oh, I am so lucky, Mother's grace that I survived. As if Mother's grace was not with the others. And sometimes it's a very kind of an insensitive sentiment. But Shurabindu says. Providence is also that when all the rest survive in a boat capsize and that little straw of hope is snatched away from me and I drown. Why? Because even they who sink, where do they sink? Into his breast. He who to some gives victory, joy and good, to some gives rest. So we have to discover that joy everywhere, in every sense. And that comes with a faith in the divine. The mother says that, you know, this is, this is the quality. What kind of faith is required in this yoga? Which helps us to move towards the psychic very fast. It is the, it is the light that can really pierce through the darkness and lead us to that. It is that which, you know, with that faith Shurabindo writes in, in the jail, when a sword is hanging over his head and he writes, it is the master of man and his infinite lover. He is close to our hearts, had we vision to see. We are lost in the pride and the pomp of our passions. We are bound by our thoughts where we hold ourselves free. And the mother says, if by the mind we stand before the divine and keep arguing, we will forever remain that. We will never really enlarge into his vastness. And there are people who do this, it's amazing. Yes, Yorubindo says that, but so-and-so says this, and X says this, and I think this. What is this drop arguing before an ocean? And you know, <laughs> so a drop remains a drop, or a bubble remains a bubble, a beautiful bubble maybe. So this surrender and faith, this is the essence, it's a crux of yoga. And what is this faith? It says even in the densest darkness, it is He in the sun who is ageless and deathless and into the midnight his shadow is thrown. When darkness was wrapped and covered within darkness, he was seated within it, immense and alone. The faith that is required in this yoga is a threefold faith. One, faith that the divine exists. If we don't have this faith, yoga is useless. It makes no sense. One might as well lead a life which is one is leading, and it's okay, it's fine. So first faith is that there is the divine. Second, that if the Divine has called me to the path, He knows it well. Sometimes we start doubting our own ability or, or you know, we start doubting others or their ability. We are nobody. You know, it is the Divine who has called to the path and the Divine knows best. He hopefully has not made a mistake or maybe he is trying out a new experiment if I am the worst case. <laughs> One can take it either way. If I am not the worst case, surely the Divine will handle better people or worse people, so I will go through. And if I am the worst case, then it's a challenge for him and he never will lose. So finally we are in safe hands. So you know, one should never doubt and keep on that, you know, I am so bad, I am so horrible, I have defects, difficulties. Well, we all have, and he knows, you know, there is a beautiful prayer of the mother. Oh, thou supreme confidant, it is useless to turn towards anyone to seek to understand us. Thou who understandest us perfectly well, because it is thou who hast made us. 
actually we don't understand ourselves. Even some defects of nature are nothing but qualities in the body which only when the true sight comes we are able to see that how many virtues are vice wrapped within itself and many things which we call as vices are actually budding virtues. It's a secret which, you know, is revealed. Not that, you know, one should use it as an excuse to have vices. <laughs> oh, very nice. So I can now indulge. That's not the idea. But in the true sight, we begin to see the world very, very differently because that's the reason that he lends to us. Otherwise, we are like Dumatsena, blind in both eyes. But he can lend the reason and show us how in everything he is revealing himself. So the second faith which is required is that he has called us to the path and he knows the dealing and he is going to lead us. And from these two faiths, faith, the third faith, that there is a divine guidance in the world and therefore every one of us has a divine destiny. There is nobody who doesn't have a spiritual future. And therefore if I have already reached this point of conscious aspiration, obviously I have a divine destiny. The path is near, the goal is near because I have already arrived at that point. So this triple faith is required that the divine exists, that the divine has called me to the path so he knows well. I have not walked into the path of my own. That's a great mistake. People feel that, you know, they have come to the path. It's not true. It's the divine who selects us first. Shyabindo says, he who chooses the infinite has been chosen by the infinite and we all know about it. And it is so very true that when one looks, sometimes it's a book, sometimes a person, sometimes it's a size, sometimes a visit, sometimes a casual thing. How many ways each of us can have our own stories to tell? But who is behind all this? It's he. The one common factor is she chose by her own grace to reveal herself. And that's what someone, when someone asked mother, what is the initiation in this yoga? There is no mantra, there is nobody to tell you what to do. There is nobody to give you a process of meditation, nothing. So mother says, when I say I have initiated someone, it means that I have revealed myself to that person. When you stand before her, what is that revelation? That she is the divine. Is there a logical way to understand it? There is no logic. When she chooses to hide our herself, you may tell a person thousand times, you know, mother has done this miracle, she has done this, she is the supreme mother. He will listen if he is a decent man, if he is not so decent, he will walk away, but he will say he has gone nuts. She is a human being, okay, maybe a good and great human being. Where is she? She is gone now. There is, she is not in her physical body. Who is, they are just crazy people, you know, yet another sect and cult. And you cannot describe it because she has chosen to veil herself. And therefore we should not meddle with it because when divine chooses to reveal himself, who are we to reveal? So it is she who reveals and when she reveals, all doubts are cut asunder and faith germinates in that soil. And the second thing which is necessary is surrender. And again what is surrender but to become one-pointed. But how does one start it? One begins by making a general surrender. These are mother's words, it's not something which I am just... Uh, saying of myself that I am this, a creature of many mixed things, except me as I am. Not that we put only our best foot forward. The mother used to say, my child, when you come to me, why do you want to always, you know, put your, as if you put your best appearance? Come to me just as you are. What will I do with your goodness? Offer, open your weaknesses to me so that I can transform them. But weaknesses we want to hide. When we go to pray, when we go to aspire, oh, that I don't want to see. Oh, mother, I want to be an instrument of your work. All right, good. That's a good aspiration, beautiful. 
we must also say, Mother, these are the things in my nature, lay them there before the light with an aspiration that smash them if thou wilt. Let the sword of Kali destroy this darkness in every corner. Even if it hurts and pains me, Mother, take away this burden of this ignorance which Nisadi uh, mentioned. Remove this darkness from nature which is there, which still occupies too large a place in my life. So this is the way we open ourselves to her. Then this surrender has to be repeated every day. So she says when you wake up in the morning, first thing on the agenda, and we all know this beautiful story of uh, Udar after many years in the ashram, when uh, he asked Mother, Mother, how am I progressing? Mother said, oh, you could have done better. My God, I could have done better. Mother, what is it? So Mother says, uh, well, what do you do in the morning, first thing? Get up. Uh, what do you do after getting up? Uh, well, I go to the bathroom, I brush my teeth. Well, how do you brush your teeth? Counting how he brushes the teeth. Mother says, all that is wrong. So what am I supposed to do? Mother will teach how to brush the teeth. She says, when you go to the bathroom, you say that I am with you. When you brush your teeth, I am with you. In other sense, to remember, to constantly remember that the Divine is with us. How to do this? It doesn't come in a day. Practice, 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 practice. She is with us in every action. Very simple rule. Uh, it's so beautiful when somebody says, what are the do's and don'ts of this yoga? But there is no list. Yoganda never gave a list of do's and don'ts. But he gave a very beautiful rule, a golden rule. Very, very difficult to remember, very difficult to practice. But be you, always behave as if the mother is looking at you because indeed she is always present. So he says, you start with this as if because we don't see her. But the truth is, indeed she is always present. This is the truth. We start with this that as if. So how would she, if she is present, what do that which we can do in front of her without any problem? Can we do something in front of our presence? That should be our constant attitude when we take a bath, when we take a walk. So to remember, to make this surrender more and more detailed by remembering and offering. This remembrance can be done either with the help of a mantra or with the help of a form uh, concentrated in the heart or concentrated everywhere. There are several kinds of meditation that one can practice and uh, simultaneously. One meditation is that she is present in the heart, her presence is here just as she is, beautiful and luminous in our hearts and we could just simply cry out ma, 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 ma or whatever comes naturally to us, doesn't matter. Fortunately she knows all the languages. Uh, it's we who don't know the divine language. So, and uh, she, she knows even our silence uh, which is much more pregnant. So we could, uh, we could relate with her whenever we have a little opportunity and we could just concentrate here. When we speak somewhere we should have this as the background consciousness. Uh, in whatever activity this must come again and again, return like a magnet, we should be drawn here. Second, that she is not only in my heart, she is in everybody's heart. Otherwise we are likely to develop over a period of time the holier than thou attitude. I am a sadhak and a great sadhak because people call me for giving lectures. It's <laughs> <laughs> very dangerous, no? So, <laughs> one must remember that maybe the lecturer is a fool. And somebody, you know, who is quietly listening is much more awakened. So these are illusions in which one can get trapped. 
So it is very important to remember that the divine is in everyone and leading everyone very beautifully. Man is misguiding himself, but divine is always guiding him right. So even those who are far away, even those who are quiet, even the little children and always this line of Savitri is very beautiful. Uh, God shall grow up while the wise men talk and sleep. So of course wise men talk and others sleep. That is also true. <laughs> but God grows up despite this. Despite all our chatter and despite, you know, the people sleeping, God grows up. Sometimes very beautifully when we sleep. Uh, there is a little story when the mother used to say that, you know, when you people watch the movie, again, this is not an excuse to see movies uh, on the house. Uh, good movies are fine. But then in the ashram, people used to watch movies. She says, my child, uh, mother used to come and she would sit uh, behind and she said, I can really do my work very well then. So how come, mother, because you are all protected outside, there is no resistance, I can enter into your being and <laughs> Whereas when you are steep in meditation, you may be, you know, having all kinds of resistances, thoughts, doubts, watching movie and she is there. Now obviously this diagram is there that she is there with us. And then she is so easy to open ourselves and do the work. That is the secret of yoga. It can be something very delightful. Yoga is not something which is a strain and struggle and suffering. What is strain in giving oneself to someone whom we love? I mean, all of us, I am sure, have experienced love. It's like falling in love. Each time you do something, it's a joy, because you are doing for someone you love. So yoga is like falling in love. Very beautifully, you said you mentioned about the love, that aspect. Um, when he was asked, what is the secret of success in this yoga? He has given several, at one place he writes, the secret of success, like any other endeavor, is to make yoga not just another preoccupation, but the very occupation. So if somebody, you know, that should become our goal. At another place he says, there are two central secrets of sadhana. Uh, the first is to remain psychically open to the mother. And then he stopped. As if this is enough. Indeed it is enough. So, you know, the questioner asks again, Sir, what is the second secret? So, showing the right aspiration for the divine life. Because one can open to her, for protection, for bliss, for nirvana, for whatever. But for this yoga, we open ourselves to her with an aspiration for the divine life. So this is so simple a secret. And when mother was asked, what is the shortcut to sadhana? Because we are all in a stage of, you know, spiritual McDonald's. So we want a quick nirvana, the quickest possible path. Mother says, very simple, self-giving. When someone went to Tagore, he had to go first to his secretary, Subodh Malik, and he went, he wanted Tagore's uh, autograph. So he first gave to Subodh Malik and asked him, Sir, you also signed, well, he was also a great man and Tagore's secretary. Subodh Malik writes on it, Know thyself, and signed, you know, very great, he was very touched, my God, what a beautiful thing written. So he went to Tagore, Tagore saw it and wrote below, forget thyself. <laughs> In fact, it is the other way around. The more we forget ourselves, the more we know ourselves. All aims were lost in her, then found in her. This light comes not by struggle nor by thought. In the, in the mind silence that transcendent acts, the hushed heart hears the unuttered word. 
because the more we forget ourselves, what do we forget? Our ignorance. What do we forget? Our falsehood. What do we forget? This foolish things with which we are identified. When all this time we are filled with this enthusiasm for the Divine. As a background, beautifully Mother says, two qualities which can straight away lead us to the psychic very fast. She said, one is enthusiasm for the Divine work. Second is gratitude. The sense of gratitude. Gratitude when things go right. Gratitude, double gratitude when things go wrong. Because, well, you have thought me worthy of going through this experience. <laughs> so either way is gratitude. Gratitude when one uh, sees something beautiful. Gratitude when one observes a beautiful movement in any human beings. Gratitude when one sees anything which even remotely reflects the Divine. And if we start like that, gratitude everywhere, all the time. Gratitude that she is with us. Gratitude that she has called us to the path. What life, may, how miserable life would have been. We often, you know, get into yoga and after some years we start, oh, uh, difficult, this, that. I mean, William James said something very beautifully. If men are so bad with religion, what they would have been without it? So we must, you know, understand whatever life would have been without moving on this path. How ignorance, how, uh, how ridiculous, how absurd and meaningless. They have given a meaning to our life. Gratitude for having found an aim in life which is worthy of giving one's whole life. Or for that matter, all lives. How does time matter? Why are we so much impatient? Patience helps. Because the more we are impatient, impatience is a sign of lack of trust. It's a sign of frustration inside. It means the vital has caught the yoga, not the psychic. Psychic is the eternal child of the divine. Says, okay, if you want to play it for, for eternity with me, I would play for eternity. If thousand lives, what are thousand lives? Beautiful lines in Savitri. That's how we should approach the divine. What to me are thousand, uh, you know, or, or, or uh, the being of other people, but eyes and lips that are not Satyavans. Yeah. So that should be the approach. That, that is what counts. How does it matter? When someone went to learn the art of sword fencing to a master, so the master, he was, you know, enrolled him, like we are enrolled into yoga. So we think from tomorrow we will start meditating, some instruction we start looking for, asking somebody how to meditate, how to do. But this also fellow went for sword fencing, the master enrolled him. And uh, after two, three days when he got nothing, he asked, Master, what shall I do? Oh, yes, yes, you please cook chapatis in the kitchen. So he is, you know, very surprised that I have to make chapatis in the kitchen. Anyway, he makes chapati for three, four days. And then he thinks maybe, you know, the sword has to get ready, my dress has to get ready, but no tailor comes to take the measurement. <laughs> and days pass. And every day he sees from the kitchen window others who are learning sword fighting. He says, my God, when will my turn come, when will my turn come, but master never comes. And days pass and weeks and months, a whole year passes. He then forgets about sword fighting. He is enjoying now cooking. This is a good job. I am getting to cook, nice place to stay, and everything is fine. Forget it, you know, sword fighting people fall, they get hurt, this is nice. <laughs> so three years pass, and you become a good cook. And one day he is cooking and suddenly, you know, he gets a nice whack on the back. Looks and sees, Master is standing with a wooden sword. Oh, Master, sorry. Again he gets cooking. Okay, fine. Master goes away. Few days later, again the Master comes suddenly from nowhere and another whack. 
oh, gets very angry. But suddenly his master again, his anger comes, calms down and says, sorry sir. Three, four times he gets angry, then learns to master his anger. Then master starts hitting him any time. He'll sleep in anger. <laughs> so much so that he becomes so alert that even you sleep, if he hears a footstep, push he gets up. So after he has become so alert and conscious, one day the master comes with the real soul and says, Come, now you are ready. Come, we will learn everything. So the Shivabindu says, How to put time on one side? To have patience is to put time on one side. It helps. We must know that Divine has enrolled us. He knows his task well. He is leading us. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do something. Beautifully, I, I mean, we will not repeat. This is, he is beautifully spoken about the effort of will to reject all that comes in the way. It's a sincerity to become one-pointed, to concentrate, 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 till we become one. The whole difficulty of yoga is that we are many beings together and only a small part wants the yoga. And the rest of the part want bhoga. Or most of the time, nothing. They are living mechanically, unconsciously. All this mass has to be taken into account. We don't understand divine's problem actually. We are so occupied with our problem. Poor fellow has such a tough task with, you know, hard nuts like us. So we must at least give him little time to reshape us. After all, reshaping a human being is not like a, you know, computer hardware that you send it to the shop and after one week repair. <laughs> part change entirely. It is a human being with a past running into millenniums. You know, the other day we had the talk, one good thing about the talk was that there is a crocodile inside us, there is a dinosaur inside us, there is a horse inside us. The problem is there is also a God inside us. A God struggling to be born. But with all these crocodiles and reptiles and God knows what and the monkey holding it back. So we must give some time to God at least, <laughs> that sometime if we stretch into eternity, considering that thousands of years we have been, I think that sometime can run into a few hundred years, you know. And if we keep that in mind, yoga becomes delightful. It is not a painful thing. It is extremely sweet, extremely delightful, full of peace, full of light, full of laughter, if we learn how to trust, if we learn how to surrender. This is surrender to gradually offer ourselves more and more. And as we offer ourselves more and more, we begin to forget what we are going to get back. That is the businessman's attitude. One should not have a businessman's attitude with the divine. I offered you for the last five years. Let me take a resume of my experiences. Once I think I had a little bit of that psychic glimpse and uh, maybe once I felt a little peace, some understanding somewhere in the mind. What have you given me? Five years I'm doing yoga. Whereas actually in five years we have done yoga for five minutes. That's the other story. <laughs> but, but even that glimpse, is it a joke? To have even a small glimpse of the divine? To feel for one moment eternity in this stress of transient things? To have a little snatch of peace in a life that is restless and troubled with agitation and anguish? To feel a little love? True love, genuine love, authentic love for the eternal. To have a moment of aspiration for that which alone counts. Is it something like a joke? We receive these gifts and forget and we think, oh, this is something very little. How difficult it is in ordinary life to have a small glimpse of the eternal. So we must constantly understand that this surrender is not because I want to progress. 
Mother says, even this idea that how much you have progressed to take account of, keep taking account of that, comes in the way. It does not help us to forget ourselves. To forget is to remember only the Divine and His work and His Ananda and whatever He wants us to do. It's like the servant has no business with, you know, it's like being the Divine slave. And what is that kind of relationship that we can form? This is a beautiful aphorism of Shurabindra in every way. It's not either or. Discipleship to God the teacher. Sonship to God the father. The loving and tender care of God the mother. The clasp of the hand of the friend. Divine friend. The laughter and sport with the playmate and comrade. The rapturous love of the divine, uh, the, the glad servitude to divine the master and the rapturous love of divine, the paramour and the beloved. These are the seven beatitudes and he who has them, his emancipation exceeds that of the Advaitin and he has no need of any heavens for he finds delight here to forget oneself and to just think about the Lord. And uh, I always, this simply comes to my mind that, you know, if you want to approach him through knowledge and intellectual debate and discussion, oh, God makes us sit in his ante room, study room. We don't go any further. He says, fine, sit here. I will give you my books, make a cup of tea for you, sit and read. So we forget the God, we just have the knowledge. If we want to serve him, he allows us to come up to, you know, wherever he goes, because servant has to be all the time with him, you know except when he goes to sleep, because he doesn't need quiet means. You are outside the door. But if you love him, he lets you enter into his deepest secrets, in his inmost chamber, because verily, to the Divine Lover, nothing, nothing, there are no holds barred, no restrictions of entry, no signs board saying, thus far and no further. Shrivinder says, the tongue of human speech cannot utter all that is possible when we love the Divine how much our emotions are turned towards everyone and here and there and everywhere and how much of our emotions have actually turned towards the Divine. It is this that deepens. As the Mother says, it is the heart that has wings, not the head. So the more our emotional life deepens and all our emotions turn towards the Divine, the more we begin to find Him, more and more, and He begins to play with us. And then what happens? Life undergoes a great transformation. As beautifully Savitri says, a smile was a return to earth's bliss and grief. A laugh, with, with a laughter she met earth's pain and pleasure. That happens in us. Naturally this transformation begins to happen. A laugh and smile returning to earth. And this is the truth that we have to find. And she has placed it inside our hearts. We are not alone. Sometimes we feel we are alone on the path. We should never forget that the Divine is with us. And He is not only with us, with everyone. The word orphan should be struck away from the dictionary. There is none who is an orphan. But since she knows the toil of mind and life, as a mother knows and shares her children's lives, she plays, she, she hides a small being in the heart of man a being no bigger than the thumb of man, to face the pang and to forget the bliss. This is in us the Godhead small and marred. Through this she sends her, her glory and her powers, 
pushes to wisdom's heights through misery's gulf. This in us is the Godhead of the whole sacrifice. This must become the leader of the human march. And then all that we have to do is to have this prayer with which we can close, which he has given very beautifully. O thou whom at first sight I knew as the Lord and Master of our being, receive my offering. This is the offering we have to make. Thine are all my thoughts, all my emotions. Thine are all my sensations. Each drop of my blood, each cell of my body is thine. Whatever thou givest and choosest for me is welcome. Whether thou givest to me life or death, happiness or sorrow, joy or suffering, each is a gift of thy felicity and is welcome. Let thy will be done, let thy will be done. That is the attitude and if we can keep it, the psychic being steps into nature's crowded room very fast because it wants that. It's like, you know, if a person wants to watch a movie, put a nice movie and see how, you know, person will come and watch. So similarly, the psychic being is a shy bride. It steps when it sees something which is divine. Create an atmosphere which is divine in the outer life, in our outer consciousness, it will automatically come because that is its very nature. It wants that. It is the lover of divinity and, let, and create all that contradicts the divine and there is a psychic sadness. It withdraws. It does not like pomp and shows and all kinds of shams, hypocrisies in which we live. It loves sweetness. It loves sincerity. It loves transparency. It loves authentic courage and heroism. And it comes wherever they are present. <laughs>